Welcome to the Five for Five podcast. My name is Panchito, and once again, I am joined by Mike. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm happy to be here. How are you, Panchito? I am a little bit excited today because we are on episode 10, and that means we are finishing out another five-year round. This is the end of that span. People need to understand this. It's time to pick a winner. That's right, because we've come to a point where we have reached our fifth article for our fifth episode in this time period, 1965 to 1970. That's correct. And the votes are in, correct? Yeah, the votes are in. Uh, super excited to report. Panchito, you are the winner. All right. I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think Dr. Crane, uh, he, he earned me the win. I think he won over a lot of minds. I think he won over you. He won me over, and I think he won a lot of other folks over, too. Yeah, well, I earned a lot of points for him. They were pointless points. But they were priceless. Right, because the journey through history it's was priceless. priceless. Yeah. Well, knowing that, I think I would love to get into my article. And uh, if you want, we can do it right after this small little break. Stay Stay tuned, folks. All right, everybody, let's go ahead and get into this. I am reading today an article from the Observer Reporter, which is out of Pennsylvania, but this story comes from New York, New York. Okay, the big city, the big apple. That's right. It's April 21st, 1969, and the headline says, Psyching Litterbugs. Okay, interesting. So here's what it says. Psychology can trick litterbugs into good behavior. The Litter Letter, a bi-monthly publication of the National Council of State Garden Clubs, suggests several practical ways of accomplishing this psychological sleight of hand. Interesting. For example, painting sidewalk litter containers chartreuse, ice blue, sunshine yellow, or terracotta can increase their use by pedestrians as much as 23%. Impressive. Putting planters with flowers on the tops of parking meters can inspire 27% more pedestrians to use litter baskets on the block. The reason? The effect is dramatic enough so people don't want to spoil it by unsightly litter. Another hint suggested that litter containers be positioned on sidewalks to take advantage of the fact that most people are right-handed. And that's the whole thing. Brilliant psychology. Yeah, short but sweet. Lots of psychological treasures in that one, right? No, it really is. I mean, it makes me think back to like how I was taught about uh, department stores and how they'll arrange certain things. Like that whole uh, uh, proper placement and everything, right? Right, exactly. Why certain colors are used, you know, because certain colors are more relaxing, things like that. It makes me think about also how certain colors are used in stores because certain colors excite people people versus relaxing tones things like that well it hints at a couple of things one of them being the fact that people are like kind of maybe lazy to just throw stuff away right yeah yeah i mean definitely now i mean we 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 consider it lazy because we come from a time where we've been trained at a very young age to throw our stuff away and we've been shamed if we don't do that Right, yeah, now we have, like, YouTube videos, right? The guy on the bike throws the garbage back into the car guy's window. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're pre-programmed. Right. Back then, a little different. Well, they kind of touch on the concept, too, of, like, litter begets litter. Right. So they're saying, look, if it's pretty already, nobody's going to want to mess it up. If it's ugly, nobody feels bad about making it more ugly. 
It's pretty logical. Yeah, they do. They do some psychological jujitsu on this one, right? Well, it's true. And I mean, you think about it, though, like as rudimentary as that sounds like that's some stuff that you would teach a child. Well, it, it's stuck. That's the thing, though, that's interesting about this article, because it is a short read, but it points to a lot of stuff that was kind of happening around this article. OK, bigger picture stuff. So in the 60s, there was lots of protests about like the environment and like anti-pesticide stuff chemical warfare, DDT, uh, endangered animals, all that kind of stuff, right? People were protesting protests. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then about a year, maybe two at the most after this, was the the famous advertisement with the Native American with the tear. That single tear. Right. Iron Eyes Cody. Iron Eyes Cody. Played by an Italian man from Sicily. I'm I'm gonna withhold any comments I might have I might have had from that. <laughs> yeah, I just figured you'd like to know that little tidbit that he was Sicilian. Thanks for not sharing Native that. American, yeah. The other thing that happened around this time was the first ever celebration of Earth Day. Right, that was uh, definitely a big uh, era for envir- environmentalism. And you know, of course, that all ended up becoming a big push of the Keep America Beautiful campaign. Right, I remember learning about that. Right, and then eventually we ended up with things like UNESCO and a bunch of stuff like that down the line. Right, World Wildlife Foundation, all these other kind of offshoot things that tend to stem from a common goal of improving the earth. Right, that's why I say this story wasn't too far off from kind of a spotlighted issue at the time, you know what I'm saying? But Yeah, I agree. It's a funny approach, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's very underhanded, but at the same time, and that's not to place a negative connotation on it necessarily, but in the manner in which it's it's gone about. It's soft, right? It, it's it's very soft, but coffee table psychology. But effectual. Right, yeah. This is so not like a uh, hard-hitting Dr. Crane type psychology. Absolutely not. But I mean, obviously they were talking about something that ended up sticking. Well, clearly because I mean, I mean that that's sh- think about how much research went into that back then and how they continue to research it decades after businesses today still act that you know use that psychology in practice so i think the the onus for this this whole thing being written in the first place or even for this this garden club this national garden club type of organization wanting to do this study right uh i think it was brought on by the fact that a year before this new york had a huge Garbage strike. Can you imagine the smells emitting from that city? Yeah, so 100,000 or so tons of garbage piled up. That I got like neck high on me. It was like a nine day strike. That's what's, what strikes me about the strike. It was nine days and they piled up like 100,000 pound, tons, 100,000 tons of garbage. That's brutal. The city was kind of like turning a blind eye as people were doing like garbage bonfires and they said that some piles of garbage were like chest high on the street. So, I mean, kind of makes sense that somebody was going to be like, hey guys, we should consider making trash cans a little bit nicer of a, a, a tool to use, right? Or an easier tool to use. Let's place more importance on them. So it's kind of justified, right? I think. Well, given given the fact that people were neck high in trash, yeah, I'd imagine they're going to definitely want to uh, place some kind of prioritization on, on getting rid of it. And they did get it cleaned up and they did get the sanitation people their raise and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it, it does still seem kind of soft. Even after something big like that, they're like, well, let's paint let's paint the trash cans a pretty color you know clearly they saw it as effectual but then again 
what do you expect from the National Garden Club, right? They want to make sure it's pretty. They're looking for any excuse to put potted plants all over the city, I think. (laughs) Exactly. So tell me something, Mike. How does this end up then going from Garden Club, you know, coffee table psychology to like Leo DiCaprio? Oh, gosh. I think it it starts from something that soft and eventually goes into the colleges. It goes into schools. It gets taught to people about how we need to be doing things a certain way, right? You know, we uh, they, they'll, they'll begin to rationalize it. And then eventually, folks like you and I become raised into it. And so over the long term, 25, 35, however many years later, you get folks of people who won't do that anymore. They just don't, they don't to, to litter to them is, is just crazy. Super taboo. Absolutely. Like, I would argue that it is. Littering is taboo in today's society, for the most part. I'd say generally speaking. Well, we do garbage in general are really different right like now we have like three trash cans yes like <laughs> depending on where you are yeah like some some cities like two or three different trash days right right and 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 for those of you who aren't familiar with the three trash can configuration do we want to break that down for them sure so we have trash recycling right, right. plant matter right compost that's right compost yeah some people they do compost voluntarily yeah seriously so they're you know they're throwing away banana peels and different like you know all, all that kind of stuff right. in a different garbage can. I mean, we organize our garbage. Like this is completely night and day from probably what they were dealing with in the 60s. Right. So what does it look like now then when we see somebody litter? Well, the answer to that question depends on where this is happening. Okay. If this is happening in a city like San Francisco, you might get attacked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They don't uh, take that lightly over there. Uh, anywhere else or, you know, places that maybe not be so much on the extreme end, you'll probably just be looked at some some type of way. Yeah, you get that. What's your problem? Like, <sighs> Yeah. I can't believe you. Like, come on, man. What are you, a savage? Do your part. You know, people just like scoffing. I can't believe. Yeah. But, you know, in a way, it kind of makes sense, too. Like, right, if, if we're all sort of doing this thing that just makes sense to do, right, there's a receptacle designed to hold your garbage. Well, there's also a whole, like, you know, look, you know, I'm a part of this community. You're a part of this community. I'm not I'm not trying to ruin this place, right? Like, you know, why 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 don't you not also do that? Like, why don't you not ruin this place either? Respect your surroundings type Res- of thing? Respect your surroundings. I want to respect my surroundings. Like, you know, let's all let's all do that. Uh, in the end, you, you know... You you can find a root of decency in that. I mean, it's just, it's, let's not destroy where we live. It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty nice concept. Well, I mean, if we're able to get like big old treaties and things like that signed, right? You know, then it's probably pretty common thought to be like, don't throw your garbage on the street anymore, right? I think there's a divide though. So I would say common thought, depending on what societies we're talking about. Okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, overall, right? Yeah. On, I mean, on well, the, on the planet. I mean, the majority of the people actually live in those societies. So as far as populations go, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> on the other end of that spectrum, so I would actually say in Western societies and societies that tend to be more developed, yeah. Well, because uh, we have infrastructure for it too, right? But when we're talking, you know, third and fourth world, I would argue that might be subject to debate. You know. Yeah, that's true. Well, then that's what we got Leo for to tell me about my carbon footprint when he has a jet to fly fly around. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna go and teach people that have you know issues with water and all that stuff like that how to handle those things right and because he knows better well yeah i mean you know 
the guy was on Titanic. Of course. Him and Rose together. Yeah. You know what? He is the king of the world. Right. He is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I'm sorry I have to just say this opinion. I think he would have fit on the door. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you on that one. I second that. She just let him go and freeze in the water. I, I, I don't know. I have a problem with that part of the movie. I've got a problem with Rose. <laughs> Yeah, Rose is just, you know... I mean, there was a lot of room on that door. The two evils in that movie were the iceberg and Rose. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Seriously, <laughs> I didn't know we saw an eye on Titanic. You know, I'm just trying to get you heated, Mike. Rose was amazing. Well, no, now now we agree. I, I feel like now you're just doing that as a, on purpose. I really feel like deep down you hate Rose with me. It's my job to mess with you, man. Come on. No, not this time. I know you don't like Rose with me. We don't like Rose. Well, you know what? Rose is a recycler because oh. she used that door as a flotation device, has repurposed it, you know? I see what you're doing. Yeah. I so, see, I see you know, what you're doing there. In my book, she's pretty She's pretty okay. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> I totally see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. That's right. how I know he knows me. Well, anyway, you cut it. Leo and the Garden Club, I think they were on the right page. You know what I mean? Just, just keep the place you know tidy keep it clean right the social contract right all that yeah sure yeah it it is it's really is do your part type of stuff right look i think that that's kind of one of those things that both sides no matter on where you are if you see that if you if people politicize this kind of conversation but like in the end i don't think there's any polarization to wanting to keep a place clean yeah no doubt it's pretty simple stuff well yeah you definitely don't want things to just be a mess well you know we we, we take pride in our surroundings right we in you know people pay taxes you know, people want to have a nice place for their kids to go to school and stuff. You know, they don't want it to be grimy. Well, it's probably time that we properly dispose of the first half, Mike. Yeah, let's go ahead and wad that up and uh, call that one done. Yeah, let's throw it in the appropriate bin and move on to the second half. Let's do that, folks. Okay, we'll be right back. This is Evita from Flying Blind Podcast. You're listening to the 5 for 5 podcast with Panchito and Mike. Subscribe, like, love, and follow us at Zwerk Media. At Z-W-E-R-C Media. Did you get it? Good. Okay, everybody, we are back for the second half, and this was episode number five of the run from 65 to 1970. The final episode, the 10th total. That is right, and that's why I got to share my winning article, which was about a kind of like a political issue almost a little bit, right? It it definitely flirts along the lines, but in the end, it's kind of also psychological. So, you know, it just right, right. And psychology was kind of a, a little bit of a theme this time around right well psychology was a hot topic back then it was definitely one of its times and points where it was like wow this is a big thing at the end of every period we like to talk a little bit about kind of what we saw and the trends that we looked at as we were reading through articles and when i brought in my first article which was the one about dr crane right and nancy uh, I kind of had realized that I was coming across lots of psychology. A lot of psychologies, a lot of uh, Dear Abbies. Yes, people really wanted to like 
understand why, how we were doing things, why we were doing things, what was motivating us and all that kind of stuff. Right. There was a great quest to find the psychological impetus to things. Yeah. I mean, why are we going to wars? Why are we supporting the family structure we support? Why are we voting the way we vote, eating the things that we eat, wearing the clothes that we wear, like listening to the music we listen to? This kind of, this was like big in the 60s, right? It was an entire time of uh, questioning things, question everything. But I mean, we got a lot of really cool things out of it because of a lot of music and art, like fashion. It was a highly expressive time and one that definitely will be remembered for, for many, many, many years to come. You know, one where people will look back and say that drove us in a certain direction. Yeah, I mean, politically, you know, what was going on in the Americas, politically what was going on in Europe and you Asia, know, right, Asia. And then you have like space exploration and seriously, like even to me was intriguing to see some of the ads that were changing in the in the newspapers, right? The world was rapidly changing. It was incredible. So at the beginning, I saw lots of like really just simple ads, you know, JCPenney, Sears, that type of thing, you know? Right. But then as we got later on in the years and I was reading into the articles a lot more, I started seeing things like an ad for a Camaro and they're selling the Camaro like it's a lifestyle. Nice. And that was different. That was a big change because at the beginning of the era, like 65-ish, even when we were going back to the last era that we studied, yeah, they were just literally selling you the product. Right. It was extremely product-centric. Right. And they, this product is good and it's good for this reason. This is what the benefit is. And then later on, the benefits got sort of like abstract. The Mad Men era came and advertising completely changed. Yeah, that's right. The whole Mad Men thing. Like those guys really, I mean, they did. They had a big impact, right? Right. I mean, because they start selling things like motherhood, independence. Revolution. They started selling ideas. Well, it's it's when they realized that they could completely shift uh, advertising to something more that embodies propaganda. Really looking for a buy-in. Exactly. Emotional buy-in, not just uh, the want-need transactional buy-in. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, tangibles took a backseat almost for a little bit, right? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that not too far off from the, the era of when the Marlboro Man like started? Like, like when the Marlboro Man actually wasn't... like. All I'm saying is that if you think about the Marlboro Man, he in and of himself is selling a lifestyle right yeah that ruggedized lifestyle i smoke these cigarettes you know i'm out in the range well like this last article that i brought in was about environmentalism and all of that right yeah and like the people who were really involved with the ad council and doing the keep america beautiful thing were like pepsico and coca-cola and anheuser-busch <laughs> and philip morris wow big alcohol big tobacco Right, that's big money selling a big idea. Yeah. And and what's crazy is that they figured out how to take this idea, environmentalism, and figured out how to make it work for them. Because they look like they have a cause, and they're these big companies, and we have this big cause. I mean, you hadn't really seen anything like that before. No, oh, and, and it's and it's perfect for those com cor corporations because they have people who are working alongside with them in Washington to help push that agenda. Yeah, it's crazy because you really did see a lot of that 
that not like you were saying not just monetized but actually activated like they were doing something with it like exactly they were changing policy they're changing public opinion and they're really putting things out there in a really different way and it happened super aggressively in this five-year span exactly i mean we we go from knowing nothing about something to thinking we're the experts on something in five years or even going back to like psychology like wanting to understand why we like something right yeah exactly what drives us to want to be drawn to something yeah like uh one of the last times i went to go research i did i saw an ad for a chevy camaro right it was basically was saying that if you bought a camaro you were gonna be driving a vacation nice and it's crazy to think about that because i mean now for us it's commonplace right but it's crazy to think that i was reading this and i think that newspaper was from like 1967 and a couple years before that it wasn't really a prominent thing that we would see when as we were reading through other articles well think about how new a thought that is to somebody yeah that's Dri- true driving a vacation yeah that's true you can't go on a vacation necessarily because you're nine to five but you can drive that vacation every day on the way to work I, it's actually you know the more that i'm thinking about this i'm like wow that's powerful man because you mean to tell me especially trying to put myself in this 1969 context so you're selling me a camaro okay right. first of all let's let's talk about the camaro for a moment you're selling me freedom you're selling me power you're selling me something that arguably looks pretty sexy too okay and and it's american and it's and and it's america Okay. Right. So that's just one slice of the pie. Okay. So it's 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 got all of this stuff, and then the other part of it that you're selling is it's a vacation. What the heck? Like, what does that mean? It's a vacation. Like, I have all this freedom and in this powerful package. Like, I want to buy this. So of course, people flock to that advertising idea in in spades. It's crazy though. Like, because I've gotten to work with a lot of like you know people that do this kind of stuff. They write these kinds of things and they come up with promotions and things like that right right and it's interesting because these ideas they don't flat out explain them in the advertisement it's literally just this big blank advertisement almost except for the picture of the camaro some people standing around it in beach clothes and a big blocky letters on the top that say that you're buying a vacation when you buy a camaro it's a thousand different advertisements though to a thousand different people right it's almost like they're selling you something that you already wanted or kind of were already thinking of i don't know that's it's odd they really tapped into that it's almost as if like from my point of view it's like they say here's the basis of a dream i want to sell you just the start of it go ahead and uh, do the rest on your own figure it out you know make the world is yours yeah i i think it's just a big spotlight of those people's talent i think to sort of identify those things and just be able to monetize it i mean i think now we kind of take that for granted right uh, we really do um i mean it's they're they were master propagandists of their time they really had their finger on the pulse because they were able to leverage so many like seated emotions that the public had right seated emotions is a really good way of putting it especially the time span we're talking about and uh, and that's why i was saying too like it's not just in the advertisements but even in the stories right like in the stories themselves what they were choosing to write about was really different from other time periods we've looked at exactly again going back to how the past was just so product centric right and so like they might give you a story about something but they sort of like they give it to you from the angle of that you should feel outraged about this or something like that yeah exactly but you know if you buy this product you won't have a reason to be outraged it was always kind of like that in those advertisements and then you had people that were just kind of out there seeming to kind of like pitch 
an opinion almost like mm. i'm you know i don't want to throw it at him but you know dr crane kind of juts out at me a little bit when i say that right <laughs> like he definitely had a uh, two cents to throw in on something he was really interesting in that uh people you know that were writing to him were coming to him with a lot of issues similar to nancy's but similar in that they didn't know what to do next right and he was sort of like, are you kidding me? Like, you haven't examined yourself, so how can you be surprised at the output? He was selling them something that they were literally almost blind to, right? It, I, that's one of the reasons why I evaluated that so much as help. Right, because I think if you put it in context of the time period, it right. makes it more powerful. Exactly. Because now I, I think that's what was my problem with Dr. Crane. I was looking at him through like 2019 eyes. Right. And I was like, dude, you're, you're being so mean to Nancy, you know what I mean? But for the 60s, he was kind of snapping her out of something, right? I don't know. I'm not positive of his delivery still i'm still not convinced he was he was pretty mean i don't know but you know the the, the issue again though i think that's probably one of the few times i think that we what, what we might come to a point of disagreement on right because i still i still stand firmly on that where i think that his approach can really help a lot of people today because of the fact that they're so blind to things because they're staring at their phones all day <laughs> yeah that's true but I, again i you know maybe dr crane was a little too before his time or something yeah definitely a revolutionary <laughs> a revolutionary that that's right. <laughs> well, let's hope nobody revolts if we bring back more stuff like Dr. Crane in the future. What do you say? I'm with you, man. Well, that being said, we are going to let everybody know what our next selected time period is coming up right after this break. All right, folks, be ready. This is Evita from Flying Blind Podcast. You're listening to the 5 for 5 podcast with Panchito and Mike. Subscribe, like, love, and follow us at Zwerk Media. At Z-W-E-R-C Media. Did you get it? Good. All right, everybody, we are back from the break. And as promised, we are going to deliver the announcement of our next five year period. Drum roll, please. We will be doing, ladies and gentlemen, 1990 to 1995. 25 years ago. That's right. It's an exciting time. I agree. I think that there's a lot that's going on around the world here in America. And for a lot of folks, especially our listeners, it's relevant. Right. This is the MTV years. That's right. Post Reagan. This is current. Kurt Loader times. Tabitha Soren. Tabitha Soren. There yeah, you go. Yeah. The real world. Yes, the real world. MC Hammer was cool. Vanilla, Vanilla Ice, Ice was cool. Yes. Bobby Brown was killing it. Uh, Millie Vanilli. I mean, that's just music. So there was a lot going on. And hey, this was uh, right on the edge of Desert Warfare. That's right. We had a Desert Storm happening. Yeah, it's crazy. A lot of craziness happening in the first half of the 90s. And we are super excited to bring it to you. And of course, we're going to be reading those stories, competing for pointless points. But the journey through history, folks, it's going to be priceless. We hope that you will join us on the next episode when we kick that off. Be ready. Whose turn is it going to be, Mike? It's going to be my turn. That's right. I won, so you got to go, right? I got to bring the heat, folks. 1990 to 95. I hope you're ready because I am. All right. Well, we will see you all on the next one, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, Panchito. Don't forget to subscribe, like, love, and follow us at Work Media. That's Z-W-E-R-C Media. Peace out. Thank you.